future-proofing your board. We have seen massive instability at the global level in the last two years, including geopolitical events, the pandemic and inflation. But we are also in the midst of a long-term shift arising from political instability and deglobalization. The increasing investor focus on ESG, notably integrated reporting and disclosure requirements when it comes to climate change and stakeholder engagement, amongst other things, is yet another factor that is changing the context in which boards operate. These trends have major implications for board members, who need to be increasingly sophisticated and effective in ways to oversee risks and strategy for the boards they serve on. In essence, they need to future-proof the board. I'm delighted to talk with Professor Didier Kosin, who is the director of the IMD Global Board Center. Welcome to the Better Boards podcast series. I'm Dr. Sabine Demkowski, founder and managing partner of Better Boards. We make the boards of the most ambitious organizations more effective. Our mission at Better Boards is to contribute to creating better boards. We do this by providing clients with an evidence-based approach for board evaluations and board development programs. We have created an innovative board evaluation platform organizations can access and use as part of a fully facilitated board evaluation or for the internal evaluation of the board or C-suite. Large professional service organizations are also welcome to use our platform. To fulfill our mission, we give a voice to all who care about creating better boards. Didier, it's a real honor to have one of the global thought leaders when it comes to governance on our podcast. So thank you so, so much for contributing to the Better Boards podcast series. It's a real pleasure, Sabine, to join you today. It's interesting. I mean, when one looks at your CV, you started your career as a professor of finance. What motivated you to make actually the shift to corporate governance and board education? Yeah, you're right. I was uh, educated. I did my PhD in the world of investments and uh, of risks. And uh, indeed, and, and I was educated by the best minds of what I would call mathematical finance, right? Uh, some of the Nobel <laughs> Prize winners around that world of risks. And what I realized, you know, is that... Uh, Risks are not the mathematics of uh, inflation or the mathematics of stock prices or the mathematics of interest rates or even of trades around the world, but they're very linked to the quality mm. of the decision making. We are the number one risk, our ability to decide. And that's governance. And actually, you know, at the same time, I was doing all this modelization, even uh, when I was at MIT and Harvard at the time, I started working on governance. So at, in parallel to that world on risk, I already had done a paper on uh, with a friend of mine on board turnovers at the time in the 90s, uh, in the early 90s. Mm. I started looking already into boards then. And then when I got the UBS chair at IMD, as an institution, had the need for someone who had the technical capability to address financial institutions boards. And so for the last 20, uh, 20 plus years, I've been involved directly with helping boards 
perform better. So first the financial institutions, then the sovereign wealth fund, and then pretty much you know any kind of actor around the world, including the nonprofit organizations uh, from you know Red Cross, UNICEF, international standard organization to the large actors, you know the HSBCs of the world or Temasek, the sovereign wealth fund of Singapore, and others. I mean, it's interesting. You do it at a very interesting time. There is a lot going on out there, isn't there? I mean, we have huge shifts in the global political and macroeconomic context. What do you think are the most important shifts you see that have real implications for the board work? Well, obviously, you know, it's a polarization of the world. And, uh, you know, the trend towards a multipolar world especially for the large organizations that I work with, where they need to define their playing field and they need to combine a certain level of prudence with uh, agility. And that's across themes, right? So obviously in geopolitics, it's a very natural one. I mean, Russia is a small actor in the overall world, but still, you know, you look at uh, Shell and its uh, need to move out very fast of some major assets like Sakhalin Energy that produces 10% of the gas of Japan. What does that mean in terms of decision-making at the very top? And what does that mean in terms of governance? And how do you prepare for this kind of event in much more massive area like in US-China tension, where we see that polarization happening already? And so one of that is geopolitics, but in many ways you have the same dynamics around climate and the ESGs that has become very polarizing as well. And you have that, even I would say in inflation, you have to create a certain level of resilience while building up the agility in front of the big shifts that are happening. And we see that across boards. You know, when we do these board evaluations, what I've seen in the last two, three years, that boards really felt the need to dive down into operational issues. When you look at the agenda, very few boards have actually the time to discuss in depth these larger implications you are referring to here. It's one of the big challenges, right? Boards yeah. are much more engaged than in the past. They need to have more granular understanding while keeping a very high level view. They have to be careful not to be micromanaging. With yeah. digital, they have been able to meet much more frequently, but the depth of discussion has diminished, right? So that hybrid models are becoming more frequent, right? Some physical meetings, some digital meetings, but still a level of engagement and frequency that's higher. And, you know, fiduciary responsibility and the social responsibility that has increased overall. And how do you navigate that as a board? So it's very intriguing how some of the best-in-class actors are actually Funding, you know, for example, sovereign wealth fund now are supporting their board members. In the past, you know, the board members kept quite a bit of independence and they had quite a bit of distance. Now, the sovereign wealth funds are taking a much more active role at both supporting their board members, giving them resources, giving them analysis, strategic understanding of the business so that they can dig deeper, but also putting pressure on the board members to be much more present in the asset. And there is a model of governance that I would call the private equity model, right? That's highly engaged, highly aligned, you know, team building likes. It's a board as a team rather than the classical board type of work. 
which is becoming quite dominant in the systems of many organizations as well. There's no question, you're right. There is a big transformation of governance from uh, that standpoint, and it's unclear which model will predominate. But I do think that the classical model of the widely held, publicly listed company of independent directors just there to ask questions and probe management is getting obsolete very fast. What do you see coming next? I'm sure there will also be a transition period. What are the main things board members today should already be aware of? What do you see coming next? So I say it's that combination, right, of uh, looking at the big trends and figuring all the activities of the firm, figuring out which ones are exposed and increasing the resilience of the organization Screw, you know, risk thinking. I mean, risk thinking is very predominant today. Screw strategic thinking. Of course, now all boards are getting involved into strategic thinking. Remember, Sabine, 10 years ago, that was not the case, right? And now yeah. they all want to be kicking in on strategy. But I see now, you know, a lot already on human capital management. Do we have the right culture? Are we agile enough as an organization? How do I supervise the culture from the board? What kind of KPIs do I need in human capital management? Or new areas, right, including big trends and scenario thinking, right, and figuring that out while keeping deeper knowledge of the organization. So a much more you know, stretching work than it used to be. And also a sense of responsibilities like board members didn't have in the past and pressures from all sides of society, from the regulators, which also speaks about the quality of the dynamics in the board and people paying much more attention to that. For example, right, psychological safety on board has become a big topic. Are we able to raise a question, right? Are we able to discuss everything we truly want to discuss? You know, is there a dominant actor somewhere that puts pressures, that limits the quality of the board discussions? And of course, as you know well, some of the regulators are now looking into that. For example, the Dutch regulator now doing for financial institutions Uh, one-by-one interviews of the board members with three psychological, three clinical psychologists for, you know, a few hours, each board member separately, right, to test their psychological safety on the board. So I think that combination, right, makes a board work. It makes a board work very interesting, right? At some degree, it's even more engaging than in the past, and it's more powerful than in the past, but it's also much more demanding. I mean, I have many questions are running through my head, but I try to bite my tongue at the moment and rather ask you first, what are some of the biggest threats you have seen so that boards really start to future-proof themselves? I think the future-proof board is really what many boards are asking themselves today, right? What yeah. do we need to do? How do we play that I think there are several dimensions, right? If you're looking at board failures at large, I see four big areas of failures, right? One is uh, what I would call the classical risks, right? Having organizations that are not resilient to these risks, that are not prepared to these risks, and that are not able to pull quickly out of risk situations. And of course, you know, the Russian situation, the Russian-Ukraine situation has been one of these tests, but inflation is one of these tests. Greenwashing is one of these tests. Mm. 
ESG at large. And so boards are preparing themselves. I was with the board of one of the top ESG players in oil and gas. It's a biofuel producer, well-known company. And even them, and they have a lot of integrity, right? And today they're asking themselves, okay, could we be seen as greenwashing? Is it possible that someone in the organization, you know, tweets numbers or, you know, has pride that's misplaced and that we are somewhat at reputational risk of that? The second dimension is what I would call the strategy, right? But the direction of the organization more than a classical strategic framework, right? Do we have the right values in the organization? Do we have the right vision for the organization? And are we aligning well in our mission as a board? Is our purpose clear? And are we playing our role as a safeguard of that purpose as a board. And I think this is very deep, right? But it engages around values, which is, of course, uh, sensitive in today's world, right? Where, you know, views around ESG, around diversity, around national interest are engaging values in many ways. The third area that I think is very intriguing in today's world is really the quality of the relationship between the executives and the non-executives. How do you foster deep trust while playing clear, separated roles, right? And how do you make sure that your board works almost as a team? Board is not a team, right? But the board works almost as a team in supporting the executives while being smart enough to challenge them individually as well. And so there is something there that's very delicate, right? That you know well, you know, is about a balancing act that is quite deep in uh, the best board and where the quality of the chairwoman or chairman, right, is absolutely central to uh, the success of the governance. And the final area of failures that I see overall and that I'm always concerned with and that I find we don't speak enough for board is integrity failures because we still have that. It's not only, you know, uh, the basic corruption that you see, and you see in all organizations, by the way, it's still present, right? And it's important to remember that in any large city, even in a city of a few thousand people, right, you do have crime and you do have a police force. And thus, it's normal that in corporate organizations of a few thousand people, you do have crime and you do need a police force, right? And you need a jail and you need to figure out a system, have an oversight of integrity failures. But more importantly, it's that speaking up capabilities that has to be all the way to the board. And I still see conflicts of interest I still see tensions at board level, which are of concern. And I still see, you know, people that are not necessarily dedicated to the good of the organizations that are participating there. And we have to challenge that, right? Because the world has become a world that is too difficult to navigate for boards to be compromised in any way. So there is a need for even more integrity, I would say, than in the past because today's world is a challenging world. And by the way, it's a challenging world for all. I have no doubt that many organizations will do well, but I have no doubt also that we're going to a world of winners and losers. 
and that some people will be hurt badly, some organizations will be hurt badly, and they will be hurt most often by a failure of governance. You know, in the world of winners yeah. and losers, the difference is going to be the governance quality. I have to say, Didier, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Now, each of these four areas you just highlighted, behind each of these areas, it's a huge amount of work. And I see quite often company secretaries would love to touch on some of these areas, but they are sometimes hesitant to put yet another agenda item in the board calendar. How can it be done? How can they really deal with all of these areas? Frankly, they require more than a discussion. Yeah, some of the areas you mentioned require the willingness to actually take time out and dedicate a day or two to work through these issues because these are complex issues that you highlighted there. What have you seen that some of the best-in-class boards really do? So very clear answer from my side that is double-sided. The first side is that, you know, the best boards, right? know how to prioritize and they don't get swamped by you know only regulatory compliance let's say and get stuck at not being able to discuss the most important topics of the organization so there is a prioritization of board work of course board work has become more intense than in the past right okay what truly matters to my organization Some organizations, you know, are very resilient to risks and it's more about the strategic direction. Some organizations are very dependent on talent and human capital. And it's really, you know, that human capital supervision. Some organizations are challenged by being involved in the worlds and contexts where integrity is a big issue. And then they have that supervision at heart. So the first one is this one. And you know well that this is, you know, subtle. It's not only a board secretary. It's the interaction between the chair and the board secretary and the board members and the executives at large that makes that prioritization possible. But you're right. Eh? Essential to board work is prioritization. But I would mm-hmm. add another dimension that is, in my view, very central to today's world and today's governance. Huh? Governance is not the board only. It's not the executives only, as we know well, and we've moved away in the last 20 years, right? But it's also investors, owners, shareholders, and their own engagement. And for example, if you think of ESG as a priority, it's clear the investors' pressure has been central to that and that the boards were not very engaged around that. And in many dimensions, we're missing the boat and that the investors' pressures actually calibrated the board work there. This is something that is happening as well. The engagement of the investors on what the priorities should be. And uh, I think that's very fascinating, you know, that evolution of the corporate world where capital is taking a bigger space than it has for the last 20 years. Absolutely. I know from feedback of our listeners, they always love to hear a real practical solution. Have you seen anything that really positively surprised you in these best of class boards, a concrete action or how they solve these issues or how they tackle these issues? So, yeah, I have two examples I can give you. Fantastic. One is an industrial company that is present around the world 
It's called Georg Fischer. It's a Swiss company, publicly listed, where I think the chairman will be comfortable that I describe how he has engaged the board around risk issues. For example, you know, I think a good board work on risk is that the board develop its own view of risk, independent from the executive's view of risk. That Georg Fischer is fostering discussion on risk with risk maps put around the room and the board itself filling these risk maps individually, right? And discussing yeah. themselves where, you know, in terms of impact, probability, what risk each of the board members sees and uh, engaging around that. I think Mr. Sarah, the chairman, is doing a wonderful work around that. That's uh, one example. Another example that I would give you You know, the work done by uh, Neste Oil, the largest biofuel producer in the world, where the board engages around key topics and, you know, a simple workshop of figuring out, oh, wow, what are we faced by, right? CEO turnover, risk of greenwashing, if there is misbehavior in the organization or being seen as a greenwashing, that's one of the organization with the most integrity that I know, notably around environmental issues. They are one of the leaders and one of the foremost leaders of that world. But, you know, asking themselves, could we still be misperceived, right? And how do we deal with our CEO turnover? And how do we deal with a strategic trend where all the big actors are moving with massive capital in our world? And how do we, as a board, think the future with these three dimensions that are somewhat colliding together? And so an example around risk and an example around strategy, if you want. Fantastic. No, that's really, really helpful. We could talk for hours, Lydia, but we have to come to an end. What are the three things our listeners should take away from this podcast? Well, I think the first one is very simple. And I invest in it and I invest for partners in it as well. Governance has become a key driver of performance. Uh, Better governed companies perform better. When ESG does not perform better, it's because it's not true ESG. There is no question about that, right? Governance cuts some of the downside risk and increases some of the upside rate opportunities. And so governance is a key driver of performance. Second, we are moving to a world of winners and losers. In that world of winners and losers, governance is going to be the driver of difference. And so we're going to see more, if you want, difference between best in class and worst in class. And by the way, governance today is transforming. And that's going to be my third point, right? Governance today is not a copy-paste of governance from the past. It's creative, it's agile, it's in touch with our societies, with our stakeholders, And it's inventing new practices around stakeholders, around innovation, around agility, around resilience. And so there is a lot that's being done today in the best-in-class boards that is worth looking into and inspiring oneself of, because that's going to be the driver of difference to the future. Fantastic. Didier, very big thank you for contributing to the Better Bots podcast series. It was a pleasure to be with you, Sabine. How can we help you and your board? 
We at Better Boards are always delighted to hear from you. You can best reach us at info at better-boards.com. Thank you for listening.